This is the Stockton San Joaquin County Public Library. Hi, and welcome back to a book with a view. I'm Brianna. And I'm Jody. And this month we read Alias Grace uh, by Margaret Atwood, which is based on a true crime, an oldie from Canada. <laughs> An oldie, but a goldie, <laughs> as they say. Um, this one you may have seen is also a Netflix kind of limited series. The double murder was of Thomas Kinnear and his um, housekeeper slash mistress, Nancy Montgomery. Um, Thomas was shot in the head and Nancy was hit in the head with an axe and then strangled. James and... Grace robbed the house and then absconded to New York where they were immediately arrested and taken into custody. They both had um, confessions. They were different confessions, but they were confessions nonetheless. And McDermott was sentenced to life. I'm sorry, to death. And they went lenient on Grace Marks mostly uh, because of her age. Um, They really pushed for her being so young. Um, So she was sentenced to life in the penitentiary, and then McDermott was hung, and then Grace spent some time in the penitentiary and a brief stint in an asylum, and then back to the penitentiary, and then she was eventually pardoned, surprisingly. And that is what the alias Grace the book is about, with some different theories and speculations thrown in about was Grace guilty or not? That is the ultimate question. And I mean, Margaret Atwood does have a really nice afterword in her fictionalized version of this tale. But really, uh, after reading all of the court transcripts, which you can find and we can link in the description for you, uh, it's pretty true to at least the known tale. This is a case of many facts and half-truths because there are so many different versions and stories that both Grace told, McDermott told, but also that the newspaper media told in addition to other people who wrote like I think her name was Susanna Moody and Mm -hmm. she wrote a book where she met Grace and interviewed her and her version is different from everyone else's and also the names that she uses are different than other Mm -hmm. accounts as well. So I think that Margaret Atwood did a really great job telling the known facts and then kind of filling in the blanks with the most likely scenario. Scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, But Alias Grace basically starts with Grace. Uh, Grace and her family were immigrants from Northern Ireland and they came over on a boat where her mother passed away. Um, Grace, well... I should say that the book is told through Grace's perspective, which she is a very unreliable narrator. (laughs) Every story she tells is slightly different in the book and in real life. But she is in the asylum in the book, in like the present day, and a doctor named Dr. Jordan is interviewing her because... Grace is like a famed murderess in Canada, um which is factual and everybody 
wanted to interview her because not only was she so young when the crimes were committed, but she is also described as like a great beauty. Mm -hmm. And so people were fascinated by her specifically, more so than James McDermott by far. And they never they never for one second doubted that he could possibly have been innocent at all. No, no, not no question whatsoever. But they doubted Grace Mm -hmm. a lot because she was so young, like Jody said, but also because she was really pretty. But so she's telling her tale to Dr. Jordan, who is interviewing her. He's like going on a weird tour. (laughs) An institution tour. Of different institutions (laughs) in the United States and in Canada. And I'm not really sure why. Like, I don't know if he's working on a paper or a book or... For funsies, it's not really described as why he's doing it, but that's what he's doing. It's just his hobby. Um, And he wants to interview the famed murderess, Grace Marks, as do many. Um, And so he starts interviewing her, and basically Grace, and she says herself in the book, like tosses out little tidbits to quote-unquote make him happy. Yes, she t- she ha- she like comes up, tries to always come up with something that's gonna keep him interested and keep him coming back for more. So again, you don't know if what she's saying is actually true, and it's probably not. It, I mean, some of it is. I think she there spins are it, finds ways to spin it. Yes, there mm-hmm. are like factual elements in her telling, and and I think that that's what keeps. Dr. Jordan invested, but also like uncertain of whether she's guilty or not guilty because she is saying a lot of factual things in in what she's telling him, but also a lot of things that aren't factual or can't necessarily be proven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's uh, like everyone else attracted to her, oh, absolutely. so that keeps him like on the hook. But then. When he has his, I think it's driving him crazy, his doubts that he can't figure it out if she's telling the truth or not. I think it's making him a little crazy. Oh, for sure. For sure. And we'll talk about that more later. (laughs) Um, But this is how it's starting out. So Grace is basically, it took him a while. Well, Dr. G also went in there, I should say, with the intent to get her to confess. Like, get this very this truth that no one else can glean from her or like a definitive truth I should say and he will like bring her props to try and like get her to confess because he thinks it'll like rattle her so he'll bring her like potatoes because (laughs) potatoes you store in a cellar and that's where Nancy Mm -hmm. Montgomery and Thomas Kinnear were found was in the cellar of the home which obviously like Grace thinks it's so dumb and she's like this is not going to work, sir. But he continues to do this. So she starts telling him her life story, starting with her family immigrating from Northern Ireland to Canada. And her mom dies on the ship. And she has on- many, many siblings. Yes. She's got, I think, three brothers and three sisters. Yeah. And she's one of the older ones. Not the not the oldest, but one of the older. of. Uh, yeah, I think the- she's like second oldest. I think the older sister stayed in ireland yeah i think think. she was already married or something and so when the mom dies she becomes the caregiver yeah the de facto caregiver um her father is at least according to grace very abusive both mentally and physically especially to her um so her kind of 
start in life is very difficult and their start in Canada for this new life is very difficult. Um, her dad is also an alcoholic and so spends most of his money on alcohol for himself and not the rest of his kids and that's how Grace gets her first job as a I don't I don't like kind of like a maid housekeeper but like in a I don't like an apprentice like as I say like a maid's helper like an assistant maid yeah Yeah. because she's like I mean I think she's like 12 she's super young when she gets this first job and I think it's really telling too of Grace's ultimate personality is she feels almost no guilt about leaving her family and her younger siblings like she talks about it a little bit and it's like oh well that kind of sucks for them but I've got this fantastic new life uh so she doesn't really feel any empathy towards her own family and her younger siblings who she was helping to raise and take care of and some of them are very very young well, yeah, the, and then when she leaves, her nine-year-old sister is the one that has to take care of everyone else, take over being the mom of the group, and then you—they never mention her siblings again. No, once um, she gets her job in the book, they never mm-hmm. mention her siblings again. No, they mention her father coming to try and get her to give him her wages, mm-hmm. and I think they mention her sister coming and crying and saying how terrible it was and asking, and Grace gave her like a penny. So generous. And and sent her on her way. And the last mention of Grace's family is that they moved somewhere else in Canada outside. I think it's Toronto is where where she is at this point. It's a really big city. Um, And they moved more in the countryside. And she never heard from them again, basically. And it didn't really seem to affect her Mm -hmm. at all. Um, But while she's at her first... um, home she meets mary whitney who is an important name to remember for later um and basically like mary whitney kind of takes grace under her wing and teaches her about life and like womanhood but also about the how to be in this position as a housekeeper how to survive but yeah exactly how to survive in this world with what you're given. Um, and Mary Whitney has like a lot of opinions and ideas of life in the world that she shares to Grace. And Grace is seemingly very, very impressionable. She is, again, like we said, extremely young. So she takes whatever Mary Whitney says as like the complete truth, uh, seemingly. And Mary Whitney probably has the biggest impact on her for the rest of her life. Um, Her greatest friend, her mother, her sister, like Mary Whitney just embodies all of these women in in her life that she no longer has any connection to. Um, And sadly, Mary Whitney gets, it's heavily implied but, I mean, obviously it's not stated outright. But Mary Whitney has an affair with the son of the lady of the house that she's working in um, and gets pregnant and then tries to get an abortion. And it uh, does not go well and then passes away. And this was, like, a really interesting plot point to me. And, I I mean, it could be... I'd, 
could be Margaret Atwood fictionalizing because mesmerism and like seances and sensationalism were a big big deal in this like 1840s to 1860s time period but like after Mary Whitney passed away Grace like faints and then doesn't remember like a week of time Mm -hmm. and it's somewhat implied that Mary Whitney quote-unquote possessed her for a short period of time which will come to light later too supposedly when she passed grace heard her say let me in yes and she and then there was the whole thing where you're supposed to open the window when someone passes so their soul can leave and she didn't do that so she thinks that mary whitney entered her instead yes which is very interesting and like we said will come up later and i mean i think that's also an interesting out for Grace, if if she were to take that kind of almost an insanity angle, that this is something outside of, of what she knows and what she can do, and it's a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this is just in the book. Mary Whitney was not a real person. Yes, this is just in the book. And I think because very little is known about Grace's life in general, but especially before um, be- before the double homicide with her and McDermott, very little is known. Um, I think that, you know, Margaret Atwood is obviously trying to kind of, well, you have to build the character, especially for fiction, you have to build a character mm-hmm. and show, like, why they make the choices that they make later on. And this is definitely Grace's character. This first place is Grace's big character building and, like, where she develops a lot of her views on life and her morals and all of these things happen during this period in her life. But, I mean, Mary Whitney may not have been a real person, but Grace does use that name. She does. Later. Uh, But... Yeah, so after Mary Whitney, Grace moves on to a different working place. A couple different ones. She goes through a few, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't uh, like some of them. She doesn't like the, usually it's the man of the house um, who she feels is inappropriate or she leaves for one reason or another. Which it is interesting because even as like a really small child, everybody was would talk about how beautiful Grace is or how beautiful she would become. Uh, a lot is placed upon her physical looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she she finally does take a job with uh, Nancy Montgomery asks if she will come and work with her in Thomas Kinnear's household because she needs help. Uh, and it, it is interesting because people are like, mm, I don't think that's a good idea. Maybe you shouldn't do that. There's something weird going on in that household. Mm-hmm. But Grace doesn't listen. And she goes instead. And I think this, especially this period, is the really, like, the point of did she or didn't she? This is where her story really consistently changes every time she tells it. Where she's she places herself mostly in the victim role or in a role of like, I don't know what happened. I don't know why these people would do what they did. I just, I'm just a poor, simple Irish immigrant. How would I know what's happening? And that's kind of like the role that, depending on what she's telling Dr. Jordan, that's 
like the role she's taking and I think she she sees she's pretty manipulative as a person and she sees Dr. Jordan is attracted to her but also that Dr. Jordan is very attracted to these very virginal innocent type of women so that's what she becomes like this very virginal innocent I don't really know anything of the world type of person and just really reels him in she does that like with everyone she's very she plays to whoever she's talking to for sure she absolutely does and I mean that could be attributed in part to her very hard scrabble upbringing where you she kind of had to continually adapt to new surroundings Mm -hmm. and different people in order to try and please as best she could and also get what she wanted yeah, because sometimes it seems like she um, she acts like she's too good to even be a servant. And I think that's, which I think is, might actually be her true personality true. Mm-hmm. in there. And so she has a little bit of an attitude. And James McDermott does also a little bit, which I think is part of his problem too. But then even like, you know, when they say that she roped him into doing the murder for her, she was a seductress. And seduced him into doing it but then other people she's innocent mm-hmm. and i don't know the world so yeah she's she's got some skills have you met libby libby allows you to borrow ebooks audiobooks and magazines instantly browse films through canopy on libby as well in the extras section Download the Libby app for access on your smart devices. To get started, visit ssjcpl.org. She's very manipulative. <laughs> and in the trial, they the lawyers made her pretend to be like illiterate mm-hmm. and uneducated, but she actually is very smart and speaks very well. Um, yeah, it's like basically no trace of an Irish accent anymore. Mm-hmm. She dropped it to mm-hmm. better fit in Mm -hmm. and also better manipulate I think uh and she can also read and write she wrote letters while she was in the penitentiary and in the asylum she wrote her confession yes she wrote her (laughs) confession so she there's a lot more to her than necessarily the facade that she's portraying but this is how she's reeling Dr. Jordan in and this is how she keeps him coming back time and time again to try Because she's basically giving him hope that he is going to be able to be the one that gets the ultimate truth and, like, get all of the fame associated with being the only one that, like, Grace Marks can really confide in this famed murderess. Mm -hmm. He figured her out. He cracked the case. Uh, And that is so far from the actual truth of what she's doing. But she has him so enamored that he will just, he just keeps coming back and coming back. And she'll, she even says, she's like, oh, well, I'll throw him a bone and I'm going to describe him a dream I had or did I have it? That's part of the problem with the book is, um, because again, since I watched the movie, I already kind of knew and I wish I hadn't done that. But so there's like not a lot of actual like dialogue in the book so you don't know when she, when she's describing something if it's actually happening right then and there or if it's in her mind you know what i'm saying yeah so 
So it gets a little confusing. I mean, if you've seen the movie, it's a little easier to understand because especially like the dream things. Does she actually have that dream or is she just saying she had that dream? She also uses her dreams as like a to remove herself from situations that she was actually in or she actually did. She'll say she dreamed it or she had a dream about it. Um, and it definitely was not a dream. <laughs> it definitely was her murdering someone. <laughs> to make it more palatable for herself, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so she she gets into Nancy and Thomas Kinnear, or yeah, Thomas Kinnear's household. And um, this is kind of like also when Dr. Jordan, he's kind, he's also simultaneously unraveling. The further and further they go along in Grace's tale, the more he is like mentally and physically unraveling and just like becoming more unhinged. And she's like rising in her power and hold over him until ultimately there is a breaking point. But well, he's got also the other stuff going on with him and his lodgings with the landlady and that stuff, which just but I think that adds to it his physical way of of trying to connect with Grace Marks because he's obsessed with her when he physically can't do that mm-hmm. because of where she is. Where she is. Um, because Grace has also found newfound power in this asylum where she's like a housekeeper to the governor and the governor's wife, which I find fascinating because the governor's wife has a whole murder scrapbook with a bunch of stuff about Grace. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly like a symbiotic type of yes. relationship. The, yes, the governor's wife loves true crime. She has all kinds of stuff in there. It is interesting how they let the um, inmates work. Let them out of the penitentiary and work for the day and then they take them back. It is. It's interesting. It is very interesting. And Grace has like a really like high-powered role and job within anybody else in the penitentiary. Yeah, and like, if you were to like do that now, the last place you would take the inmate would be to a person of power's home to work. Well, you might put them like to work somewhere else, but you're not going to put them in the governor's house. So I thought that was interesting. It is. And it's interesting too. And Grace makes of it a lot like a joke. Like she's literally like, ha ha. But like they give, she does a lot of the sewing and mending of things. And she'll, she has sharp scissors and instruments. And she's like, mm-hmm. what if I used it? But I won't. But what if I did? Because the governor's wife and her daughter who sit and hang out with Grace in their circle and have their friends over, they think she is innocent. Yes, they do. They really believe that she is innocent because, like we said, Grace is a master manipulator. Like Especially for being so young, she can really get a hold over people. And that definitely plays true when she's in this new job, in this new establishment. Um, she there's And it seems like, and again, we are hearing this from Grace's perspective, all of the men in this world are obsessed with her, fascinated <laughs> by her, enamored with her. Because she has so many. And it's also interesting because Grace plays dumb and is like, oh, I would never have guessed that he liked me. And everyone else is saying like, oh, he has like a serious crush on you. Yes, like every household she worked in, the man of the house 
was inappropriate with her. Every single one. Mm-hmm. Every single doctor, guard at the penitentiary and the asylum, every single every single male has been appropriate with inappropriate with her. Now, I'm sure a lot of that is true, but I mean every single one I mean, that seems a little far reaching, but this is Grace's <laughs> interpretation of events. Um, but basically like she gets in this new establishment and imme- it seems like almost immediately she and Nancy are at like they're butting heads with each other because according to Grace, <laughs> Nancy is very jealous of Mr. Kinnear's paying attention to Grace when he and Nancy clearly have a thing going on in this household that is a not-so-secret secret. Um, and so Nancy is, according to Grace, super, super mean to her, and Grace just doesn't understand why. Yeah, she also she also seems disturbed when Nancy asks her to do work, which is what she's there for, and then Nancy doesn't do the work. Because she, I feel like she thinks she, well, if Nancy doesn't have to do it, why do I have to do it? But again, Nancy is the head housekeeper. Grace is the helper housekeeper. So, I mean, she is there to do work, but she does act like she's too good for it. And then her doing, like, scrubbing the floor instead of Nancy scrubbing the floor. Make, she, oh, she's jealous of me, so she's going to make me scrub the floor. When all she wants to do is, you know, take Mr. Kinnear his food. Yes, and that's Nancy's job. That's Nancy's job. Only Nancy can take him the food. And it, Grace does, like offer or just straight up pass Nancy and go to Kinnear and take him things and Nancy gets so upset at her and Grace just can't understand why. But again, there's no dialogue so it's hard to tell if that's actually true or if it's just in Grace's mind. It is. I mean, again, like we said, Grace is an extremely unreliable narrator and everything in this novel is told from Grace's point of view. So pretty much everything you have to take with a grain of salt. Like not that there aren't factual information in her tale, but it's colored by how she wants to be perceived and who she's talking to. Because depending on who she's talking to, her story is different. Well, yeah, because then they later try to paint it like it was a um, a strange household. There's not a lot of information about Mr. Kinnear, who he actually was. And then um, there's a brief thing about how was he really who he said he was? And then Nancy supposedly had a child, an illegitimate child from another household that had passed away. Mm. So she just goes from household to household, having relations with the owners. So you know, you don't know. You don't. And there's two, imp- well, we already know McDermott's important, but there's another important character. His name is Jamie Walsh. And he is also, according to Grace, besotted with her, and as is McDermott. Uh, and he plays a big role in the trial. He basically flips on her. But in Grace's mind, it's because he's jealous and upset that she went away with McDermott and he made it all up. Jamie is younger than Grace. Yes, by a year. Yes, so, I mean, that seems also a little far-fetched for this young boy to, you know, be that upset. But, um, yes. According to Grace. Yes, everyone's in love with Grace. <laughs> According to Grace. Very upset. Um, 
but you know they develop a friendship she it's really really interesting because in grace's retelling especially in the in the novel she doesn't really have a relationship at all with james mcdermott um at all until the very end and then she decides to run away with him but even she can't describe or come up with a good enough reason as to why she would do that yeah in the book they don't have like a ton of interactions like enough to um make it so like she did seduce him into this and he's in love with her they don't interact that much he works in the stable he's not even in the house no no and i mean really the only thing they have in common is their bad attitudes basically because like both... he too i think thinks he's too good to be a servant yes because he actually did come from a a wealthier family and then he served in the military so he didn't doesn't he could have had another job he doesn't have to take a job as a servant no he chose to do that yeah and then he acts and then he has a bad attitude about it yeah which is because he did come from a pretty wealthy family in Scotland, but he was, like, very rebellious and kind of the black sheep. So I think he was somewhat forced to join the military. And then once he joined the military, he just really kind of lost his way and didn't know what he was doing or where he was going. Unlike Grace, who I think had a definitive end goal that she's trying to meet and manipulate her way to get, which is to be a lady. Because she makes mention of that a lot. Even, uh, is, I, again, this is all speculation, but in the novel, <laughs> she makes great mention to say how people tell her that because she is so regal looking and so pretty, she looks more like the lady of the house mm-hmm. than a maid. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that is what her end goal is going to be. And that's, she's trying to manipulate her way into getting what she wants by force or what have you. And, or murder. Or murder. And her version, which Margaret Atwood really did stay true, again, to all of the facts, the actual facts that we know about the case, because not much is known outside of this novel either. But Grace and um, James McDermott each told like two to three different versions of what happened in the house. And Grace, Grace's main version is that McDermott was really, really mad at Nancy because Nancy was going to fire him and send him on his way. And he was going to kill Nancy, and Grace was like, oh, don't do it. And then in a... <laughs> yeah, she did not... <laughs> She did not really fight that hard no. against it. No. Um, and this was when like, she's telling her version. Oh, no. James, you shouldn't do that. That was like the extent of her like her fight against murdering someone. Yeah. And I thought um, it was pretty callous, but like at one point, like James was like, "I'll just do it now." And Grace was like, "Oh, don't do it here because I'm the one that has to clean the floors." Oh yeah. And don't do it when it's the night where her and I are sharing a bed because you might accidentally hit me. So wait. Yeah, that's her effort at stopping him from murdering. <laughs> yeah, which doesn't really speak a lot to her. That does not scream innocence no. at all. No, yeah. but that, like, her tale is it was all McDermott. McDermott was the force. She had nothing to do with it. She didn't, she did know about it. She quote unquote tried to warn them, but there, 
she doesn't really say how she tried to warn them ahead of time. Like she said she talked to Nancy about how angry McDermott was and he was angry enough to kill her because he was going to get fired and Nancy was basically like, sure, sure, sure. She's like, yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah, I'm sure he is. And then like laughed about it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so her version is James McDermott killed Nancy, um, strangled her. But he... In, but did she? She did admit that she helped strangle her. She admitted she was there, but not that she helped. Oh, that she not that she helped. It was her. It, it was, was her, her handkerchief. handkerchief that strangled Nancy, and she admitted that she was there, but she didn't say she had a hand in any of it. So he hit her in the head with an axe, but that didn't kill her. Now, thought she was, was dead. Stunned her. Thought she was dead. They realized she wasn't dead, so he decided to strangle her with. Grace's handkerchief. Yes, he basically told Grace, "Give me that now." In his and version, Grace was scared. Yes, in so his version, Grace held one end of it, and they strangled her together. Yes, in in his version, and in his version, Grace was the impetus to the to the double homicide. Grace wanted Nancy gone because Grace was jealous of all of the powers that Nancy had in this household and wanted her gone. There really wasn't necessarily, like, a firm motive for the killing of Thomas Kinnear other than he would notice if his yeah, maid he would, was gone. Yeah, he would be upset that Nancy was gone and or murdered. Because Nancy was also carrying his child. Stressing over homework? Live help is available at tutor.com from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., other resources, including practice tests, are available 24-7. For more information, check out our website at ssjcpl.org. Which they find out later in the yes. autopsy. And Even that though, was factual. She yes. was pregnant when she died. Even though Grace knew. Grace yes. recognized the signs because, you know, she'd Mary seen, Whitney. And she'd seen her mother be pregnant so many times. So she knew... She probably thought that she was going to get turned out, too. And she liked this household. Yes, yeah, she did. Because there was a lot of freedoms in this household. But there was not anything... Even in her, by her account, there was nothing horrible that happened. Mm-hmm. Nancy wasn't horrible. She wasn't abusive. No. Um, Mr. Kinnear wasn't either. And to make... You know, to go no. from this to just let's hit her with an axe and then chop her up um i think there's part of the story we may not know and may never know you'll oh we'll never know but i mean yeah grace always described mr kinnear as being a really like easy benevolent easygoing guy like they she had a lot of liberties on this place and was really able to do whatever she wanted as long you know as as long as certain things got done and nancy was happy um and really like the only person that nancy that grace does not like is nancy and i mean again you have to kind of read through the lines because grace does say many things and even as she got to this final point in telling this to dr jordan in her mind she doesn't even actually tell him she's just like in her mind this is what i would tell him if he were here this is a version of yes. events that I would tell him. I'm trying to decide which things I should tell him. Yes. Yeah. And she um, basically tells him 
you know, or it like implies that she's going to tell him some semblance of the truth, but she's going to keep some stuff to herself. And that's, it's, it's just so interesting because Grace's version, James McDermott did everything. James's version, Grace was the impetus for everything. He did hit Nancy Montgomery with the axe. They strangled her together. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing, and in the court transcripts too, is nobody quite understood. So there was like a bloody magazine that Thomas mm-hmm. Kinnear was holding and somehow it ended up in Nancy's bed. And her bed was like covered in blood. And that was Thomas Kin- or James McDermott's version of that is Thomas Kinnear was holding the book when he shot him. Mm-hmm. And that's basically, and he threw it somewhere, mm-hmm. but it was in the covers. Yeah, there. Well, even so, even the witnesses in the trial had different stories. That's why they had such a hard time with everything because yes. everyone's stories were changing and yes. different, and there was no definitive way other than the confessions. James McDermott said, "Yes, I killed these two yes. people." But I wouldn't have done it without Grace. With, if it hadn't have been for Grace, if Grace wasn't there, wasn't there, it wouldn't have happened. Yes, but Grace was the driving force because she was so jealous, mm-hmm. and she was did not want to be an underling anymore. She mm-hmm. was done. She wanted power, which is crazy. Because how are you going to get power if you murder the housekeeper? Right? Who? gave you this job and who obviously runs this house and then you're going to murder the owner of the house because you're worried he'll find out that you murdered the housekeeper where do you go from here the way society was it seems like who's going to want you when you're just in a house where two people were murdered and you may or may not have been involved right how how is that going to rise you through the ranks it's not and i think it's important to know that grace is 16 at this point, yes, At this she is point, 16. she's very, very young when the murders took place. And then after the murders, they basically robbed the house of any valuables. Uh, Grace took Nancy's clothing. Yeah. And then in person and said was they were going, fleeing from Canada. They were trying to go into New York. And she was telling people that her name was Mary Whitney. Yes. Which is a true fact. She did in fact do all of that even in her trial like when she was on trial she was wearing nancy montgomery's clothing even against the advice of her lawyer she insisted on wearing nancy's clothing yes um which is very telling i think and i i also think in a way that grace didn't even believe that she would ever be Be found guilty or be in trouble of anything that she did in the novel, when um, Dr. Jordan goes to meet with Grace's lawyer, the lawyer is like, no, Grace is guilty of sin. Mm-hmm. Like, he did his best to, you know, get... Because they were going to go for death for her, too, but he did his best to get the jury to be more lenient towards her um, and basically put all, put all of the blame on James McDermott. Um, but he believed that she was the instigator in the scenario, and there she was, was guilty. Yeah, there was actual groups of people who like wrote on her behalf and got her sentence reduced. Yes, which is also kind of crazy. Yeah, I think like for me, one of the craziest parts of the book is so like we mentioned this mesmerism and seance was super super popular. Well, the governor's wife 
hires this guy to come in and hypnotize Grace so Dr. Jordan can kind of interview her and figure out like what is the bare bones truth. And so I mean it's also interesting because it's Jeremiah. Is that his name Jeremiah? Yes. Someone that she yeah, the peddler that she knew from From before her first gig like her very first Mm -hmm. job she got when she was like 12 yeah a peddler who was always very kind to her she has seen you know different times throughout her different stations turns out he is a mesmerist mesmerist um con artist con artist uh, he has he ch- his own like traveling sideshow yeah changes his name and slightly his appearance he did he tried according to, get- to grace mm-hmm. according to grace did also love grace and try to get her to run away with him not to- marry him but run away with him yeah to join this traveling sh- sideshow mm-hmm. and he would take care of her um but turns out he's this new doctor um mm-hmm. that has this um Hypnosis. Yes. So he hypnotizes Grace and Grace transforms into Mary Whitney and Mary Whitney confesses to the killings of Nancy and Thomas Kinnear. And everybody is like, oh, Grace must be innocent because clearly she has to be because not only is this like a plea for insanity, but it's like insanity by way of possession. (laughs) And that was wild to me. That was... But again, it, it is... It shows how smart Grace is because she knows and she sees from the governor's wife, who is a true crime fanatic, that this is what's popular and this is what people are believing right now. And that also helps Grace get pardoned in the but, end. <laughs> but do you think that Jeremiah, the mesmerist... Um, I don't remember what his new doctor name was... Um, like knew where this was gonna lead. What do you think he thought she was gonna say and do when he supposedly hypnotized her? I think he thought that she was gonna do exactly what she did because he said from the beginning that immigrants must stick together, and he he gave her a bunch of favors. And you know those all those little buttons that he gave her, his little keepsake. Did he say something too that you're like me? You got some gypsy in you too, or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So I I think he felt that they were kindred spirits of a sort, Um, and they're both con artists. Okay. Yes. And I I think that he helped her with the ultimate con, basically. And in the book, she gets pardoned, and who's waiting for her in New York? Lo and behold, it's Jamie Walsh. Whoa, the guy who testified against her. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Hallelujah. And what does he what what does he have in his hands the second he meets her? An engagement ring. How convenient. And then they get married and she gets to change her name and basically absolve herself of being a famed murderess. The true facts are is once she got pardoned, she went to New York and then disappeared. Yeah. They lost track of her. Yes. So could she have gotten married and it's done possible. all this? It's entirely possible. I think, you know, Margaret Atwood, this is obviously her interpretation of how she could potentially disappear once in New York as she gets married to Jamie Walsh, who, according to Grace, has always been obsessed with her, <laughs> and marries him, changes her name, 
So, you know, now she's no longer connected to the name of Grace Marks. But she does the same thing with him that she did with Dr. Jordan when she tells him things. She says he likes to hear all about her sufferings and especially the really dark parts that really, like, gets him going. He really loves to hear all that. So she tells him all her stories and, again, you don't know if she's telling him the actual things that happened or if she's sensationalizing it more than it was. You don't know because she's just telling him what she thinks he wants to hear. And that's what she's doing. She's very good at at telling you what you want to hear, making you believe what she wants you to believe. Um, But the frustrating thing is is you're never going to know. No. You're never going to know if she was the instigator, if she was an innocent bystander, if she got... You know, was a, was a victim of this rogue James McDermott. You don't know. And I think that the, especially the limited series TV show did such a great job of portraying it because there are points when you're like, oh, she's guilty for sure. Or like, I don't know. Is she innocent? The book has a more, I mean, granted, Margaret Atwood is telling it and it definitely leans on the side of she's guilty she did this she was the instigator but the limited series tv show like even at the last episode you're like did she do it yeah i I don't know yeah i agree i think the tv show too was i was left more like i don't know i'm unsure but then reading the book i'm like she did it she's a thousand percent guilty yeah so it's interesting yeah i mean but it is frustrating because you're never gonna know and there is not a ton of true information. It's all the same information that you can find, just the confessions and then the little blurbs from um, the, the Moody's, the Moody's uh, Susanna Moody's book, which, again, you don't know if that's a 1,000% accurate either. Um, no, or what Susanna was trying to tell, to tell her own sensationalized version to get in order to get her own name famous to be connected with this famed murderess, Grace Marks. Because tr- also, if she was writing what grace told her then again you don't know if what grace was telling her was the actual truth either Mm -mm. so you're just it'll forever be a thousand percent unsolved it's a mystery forever and nobody can come to a firm conclusion like even the newspaper sources of the time all told different stories so there is no firm conclusion on did she or didn't she other than her own words and those Clearly can't be trusted. Clearly. (laughs) Even though she has a confession, it still can't be trusted. Nope. And that is Alias Grace. We hope you join us next month. We are going to be reading Quiet Dell. So we hope you join us then. To stay up to date with library news, follow us at SSJCPL on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at ssjcpl.org.